Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Um, I'm excited about this morning, as I was a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching. Um, I'm excited for one very simple reason. This passage is all about the cross. This is all about Jesus, Christ and him crucified. And I think as Christians, you know, we can often kind of almost sort of skip that bit because, you know, we get really excited with this, the songs. You know, there was that song we sung earlier, this is Jesus in his glory, king of heaven, dying for me. We, we know how significant the cross is. And so we can often actually just sort of skip that bit and get to the other bits because we know that bit, right? We know that, that Christ came. We know that Christ died for us. We know the story, right? We know the good news. But this passage is all about the cross. I'm excited. I hope you're excited and go with me on a bit of a journey this morning. Now, I don't know if any of you know, but some, some of you do know, um, I've, I've recently started a new business. I started about officially about two, three weeks ago. Um, and one of the things that I've been doing is phoning old clients and just talking them through my proposition and saying, you know, is, is there a space in the market here? And I'm a, I'm a strategist by, by trade, I'm a strategy consultant. And the first question every client asks me is, is this a consultancy or an agency? And the reason they're asking that is because I've worked at both. I've worked at consultancies and I've worked at, at creative agencies. So they, they, kind of, they want to know which box I fit into, right? And the thing is, in, it, it makes sense because as humans, we like boxes. It's how we make sense of the world. Now, some boxes are just labels. Male, female, young, old. Others can be a little bit divisive. If you watched the game last night, England, Scotland, that's a divisive category right now in my life. Left wing, right wing, rich, poor, black, white. You know, boxes can be helpful, but they can also be quite divisive. And right off the bat, from verse 24, Paul is saying this, to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, and if you notice in this passage, Paul often uses the word Greek and Gentile fairly interchangeably. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Boxes can be helpful, but actually what Paul is saying is these boxes don't matter. Because underneath the cross of Christ, all are equal. Right? Underneath the cross of Christ, these boxes are irrelevant. Christ is radically inclusive. But then see this in verse 24, to those who are called. He's radically inclusive to those who are called. Slave, free, Jew, Gentile. The Bible itself has many boxes. But actually, there are only two, it says, that matter. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Whereas Ephesians 5 says, those who are dead in our trespasses and those who are alive together with Christ. And so actually, while the, the cross and while Christ is radically inclusive, it is also utterly exclusive to those who are called. Now, in an age of tolerance, that is not a popular message. Let's be honest, right? Who likes having that conversation when you're talking to a friend about the gospel? You say, some are chosen, and they're like, well, hang on a minute, I... Does that mean I'm not chosen? I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine in the pub. He's one of my, well, he's my best mate. Um, staunch atheist, uh, thinks I'm insane. And, uh, you know, I remember the first time I, I really walked him through the gospel message. And he literally went, oh, charming. So that basically means I ain't picked. And I was like, gosh, like, 
this is a really awkward conversation suddenly. You know, we don't want to offend. And so we can actually dodge and avoid the, 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 the kind of harsh nature of this. And in fact, we, we see some of this seeping into the church. It's where we get uni uh, universalism from, right? That there are many paths to salvation. But I'm a good person. Surely that that's, you know, warrants me a place in heaven. But what does John 14, 6 say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need to be comfortable with this tension. We need to be comfortable that without the cross, no one is saved. The, and actually, this is the thing. If you look at verse uh, 21, it says this, it pleased God. That's another way of saying it, God's purpose. He planned this. It was always his intention. This wasn't an afterthought. This wasn't, you know, oh, well, man's fallen now, so I better do something about it. This was always his plan. His purpose was to call those whom he chooses to call by his great pleasure. Do we necessarily understand why? No. We need to be okay with that. And I think in many ways we need to be, the, the, the thing we need to be most okay about, and I think the reason that this message is so important is that this is the sum and substance of God's message. Christ and him crucified is the core of the Christian message. Okay, so as we walk through this passage, I want you to hold on to that. I want you to have that firmly in your head. So, verse 22, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Now, all we're going to do is very simply walk through these two things. Why was this a stumbling block for Jews? Why was this folly to Greeks? And then try and understand, you know, how we can apply that to our lives today. Now the thing to bear in mind is that the Jews at the time were, were considered a very practical people. Okay? They, they were very um, dogmatic in their, in their following of the law. Um, so everything to them had to make sense. right? And if they looked in the Torah, they had these depictions and manifestations of power. You know, God uh, inflicting these plagues on Egypt, calling his people out of slavery, you know, the, the passing of the Dead Sea, you had these awesome displays of power. And then you have a crucified Messiah. And they're like, whoa, 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 that, that's not the God I know. My God would come down in power and majesty and might. And you're talking about a man who was crucified on a tree. Like, it just didn't make sense to them. This is why it was such a stumbling block. They just, they failed to kind of connect these two things. And actually, what's, what's worse is they, they knew their scripture. They knew the Torah backwards. So they knew that if anyone who's, who was, um, hangs on a tree, as it said, is under God's curse. Like, no, no, no. The Messiah is... How can, how can the Messiah be under God's curse? It made no sense to them. It was scandalous. It was a stumbling block. And so, unsurprisingly, they demanded signs. You know, if you perform a miracle, then we'll believe. Interestingly enough, if you... Uh, I think it's Matthew 12, where the Pharisees actually turn to Jesus and say, perform a sign, you know, show us a sign. And he says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Jonah went into the whale for three days, and I'm going to go into the earth for three days. So even when the Pharisees demand the sign of Christ, all he did was point to the cross. That's all he did. He said, this is why I am here. This is why I'm here. They wanted displays of power. They wanted an Old Testament God that they understood. Verse 24. The word of the cross 
is the power of God. Okay, Paul uses that language very specifically. The word of the cross is the power of God. This is not nice advice wrapped in displays of miracles. This is not even a message about God's power. The cross is God's power. It is what redeems us. It is what sets us free. The power is in the cross. Christ crucified. See, the Jews, they, they saw this as a stumbling block because they wanted the power to set free. But unlike freedom from slavery in Egypt, they were missing the fact that this was freedom from sin itself. They wanted the power to conquer. You know, Rome was still had all the Jewish people and they wanted to conquer Rome. They wanted to be the most powerful nation. But they forgot the true power was in conquering death. They wanted the power to restore, not just to the promised land, though, but to God himself. We need to be honest with ourselves. We can actually fall into this trap ourselves. Okay? Have you ever seen, like, a documentary where you have, like, someone, I don't know, maybe there's a plane crash or something like that, and someone's saying, you know, I don't even believe in God, but I was praying. I was like, Lord, if you just get me out of this mess, then I'm going to turn to you. Have you ever seen something like that? Right? You all heard someone say something like that? You know, I will believe if you get me out of if you get me out of here, if you save my skin, if you cure my son of leukemia. And in fact, we can kind of do this ourselves, right? I'll be a better Christian if you know you just make my life a little bit easier. I'll give more if you just give me that promotion, right? I'll spend more time in your word if Esme sleeps tonight. Please, just sleep, just once, please. But actually, what we're doing is we're creating a god of our making. We're creating a god who just gives us our whims and our delights. Right, and that's not what the cross is about. Lloyd-Jones says, never let the patient write the prescription. Amen to that. Asking God for signs is not a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, I'm not saying we shouldn't be asking for healings, for uh, God to give us that promotion or anything like that, but it should never be the most important thing. The Jews would never have prescribed the cross. And frankly, we need to understand the fact that we wouldn't either. Okay. But the word of the cross is God's power. Not to overthrow Rome, not to give us what we want, but to conquer sin and death. And honestly, my prayer this morning, is, as I've been preparing, my prayer has just been, Lord, show us the fullness of your power. Show us the fullness of the cross. Christ, the power of God. And then we have the Greeks, right? The Stoics, the philosophers, the intellects of the time. These, these were the people who were celebrated, not just for their intelligence, they, they, they celebrated their own intelligence. They, they thought the world needed their uh, intelligence. You know, they thought in systems. They were scientists and creators at the same time. And it gave them this really sort of false sense of superiority. Now, honestly speaking, I can kind of resonate with this, right? Before I became a Christian, I spent my entire life reading every book that I could possibly find on anything because I wanted to fill myself with knowledge. I wanted to be the smartest person in the room. I kind of stopped reading if I'm honest, when I became a Christian because I just realized it was folly. It was folly. The wis- all the wisdom that the world had to offer it actually gave me nothing. It gave me no meaning. It gave me no purpose. It never actually revealed truth to me. And so for the Greeks, the, the cross was actually a very crass thing, right? The cross was reserved for the worst of the worst, the harshest punishment, right, for criminals, the worst criminals 
the man had to offer. It was unsophisticated. It was unrefined. Far too humiliating for a god. You know, they had many gods, the Greeks. And they, they just couldn't fathom this thought that God would come to earth as, as a man and then humiliate himself, taking on the shame of the world and burying himself on the cross. It just didn't make sense to them. It was far too savage. It was just wrong. It was folly. But actually what they were trying to do is put God in a box. They were trying to understand God through their system of thinking. They thought they were wise, but they could not comprehend the mystery of the gospel. They couldn't get their heads around it. Sound familiar? What about today? How many isms do we have? Secularism, atheism, Lots of different isms, right? We, we pursue knowledge. We pursue science. We want to understand how did the universe come to be? What was, you know, the God particles, the, the thing that started it all? We try and rationalize God because we want to understand and put him into our system of thinking. Actually, there was a, there was a guy I met at NCT. Uh, for those who don't know what NCT is, when you have a baby, they kind of encourage you to go to this thing called NCT and you meet other parents who are of similar, kind of going through a similar phase as you are. Um, and the, one of the very first times we sat down with the NCT lot, um, someone said something about uh, faith and Claire said, oh no, we're, we're Christians, we go to church. And someone said to me straight away, they went, oh, you go for community, right? They were trying to make sense of my faith through their lens. Why else would I go to church other than for friendship? Because it didn't make sense to them otherwise, right? We try and rationalize God. We try and intellectualize God. And perhaps that's why we have this rhetorical challenge that Paul sets down. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Challenging them. Come on, bring your intellects. Try and rationalize God. You can't do it. You can't discover God like you can discover the atom. Okay, it's just not possible. You can't intellectually debate people into believing in God. And this is something that actually I really struggled with at first. I, for years, would try to prove God's existence to my friends. You know, because actually, if you look at the evidence, there's a huge amount of evidence. So I thought, well, that's great. I'm just going to walk through it. I'm just going to say, well, actually, there's, there's more historical evidence for Jesus Christ and Julius Caesar. And yet you have no problem believing in Julius Caesar, but you do have a problem believing in Christ. So I'd kind of go through these rational arguments and I'd try and convince them. And again, my, the best friend, the one I was talking about before, I remember the first time I just simply told him the gospel. And he said to me, that's the first time I've ever understood what you're talking about. Now I get it. Now I get why you believe all the rationality in the world, all the intellect in the world would never have convinced him. But just knowing that I feel that I am a broken sinner and that as a sinner I need a saviour and that Christ came and died for me, gave his life for me, that actually makes a lot more sense. Okay, the centrality of the cross is the key. Faith can seem like folly. It can seem unsophisticated that we have this kind of cross and then we're sinful and we need to say, you know, it's just a bit strange. And actually, there's a really interesting, when I was preparing for this, one of the verses that really stood out was the verse that Paul quotes in the Old Testament, 
which says this, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And I remember sort of it made me chuckle at the time because I was like, gosh, if only Paul was alive today to see how society has transitioned over the last few years, right? Because we've kind of gone from this postmodern culture to what they're now calling a pseudo-modern culture, where actually rationality doesn't matter. You don't need to make sense. In fact, holding contradiction is considered to be a fairly human thing. You know, I can believe one thing and can believe a completely contradictory thing, and it's okay. It's like, hang on a minute, what kind of... Like, the wisdom of the wise, it, it does seem to be being destroyed. But the main thing is we just, we, we can't offend anyone. We can't say, like, oh, this is what I believe, and you, you have to believe this too. Right? And you see what culture is trying to do. It's trying to play down the significance of the cross. We probably have questions too, right? Why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does God choose some and not others? You know, we, I have these questions. I don't know the answer to these, these questions. And actually, th- these questions are exactly the same as we saw 2,000 years ago. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. No, for the wisdom that the world has to offer, can humanism offer purpose? Can science offer hope? I don't think so. Only Christ and him crucified can offer us hope. So we have the Jews who see the cross as a stumbling block. We see the Greeks who see the cross as folly. And actually there's an irony to both of those things. And the irony is simply this, that they both prove the need for the cross. Let me just explain that. If we choose to believe that the cross is offensive because of its exclusivity, rather than delighting it as a gift, if we choose to seek manifestations of power rather than accepting its power to give life, if we seek worldly wisdom, rather than embracing the mystery of God, then all we're doing is we're setting ourselves up as God. We're saying, it's actually, no, you you need to conform to how I think, not just being comfortable with the fact that God created all things. So what man sees as wisdom, God sees as rebellious folly. The fact that we think we don't need Christ and him crucified is the very reason we do. D.A. Carson wrote this, where human wisdom utterly fails to deal with human need, God himself takes action. We are impotent when it comes to dealing with our sin and being reconciled to God. But where we are impotent, God is powerful. Let's get the band up, actually. Let's, um, Toria, where's Toria? Toria, can we get you up? Oh, just closed my notes. Now, I've kind of whittled through that quite quickly because I want to spend some time in the conclusion. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I think, you know, as, as has been said this morning, we've all come here a little bit tired, worn, we carry our own baggage, right? And there is something about just returning to the foot of the cross that I think has immense power. 
Because as we've, as we've seen or as we've heard, the cross isn't just a nice thing. It is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. Christ and him crucified. In an age of tolerance and inclusion, the exclusivity of the cross could lead us to dumb it down a bit, you know, to play it safe, to ignore that bit. That's a difficult part of the message. But it is the sum and the substance of God's message. In an age of me and, and selfishness and me getting what I want, it's all, all too easy to obsess about what God can give us rather than recognising who we already have in Christ. Dramatic moment. Thank you. <laughs> in a world caught up in its own wisdom and its own intellect, we can deny the very beauty of a gift of faith that doesn't actually make sense in many ways. Right? We can't rationalise God, but we can turn to the cross Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so there's something that I want us to do as a church this morning, and I want us just to recognise that Christ and him crucified isn't just a part of the Christian faith. It is the very rock on which we stand. Okay, so when we are talking to our friends, when we're talking to our colleagues, when we're talking to our loved ones about why we believe in this thing called Jesus, this person, this amazing man, this gift that he's given us, this, why do we believe in God? Let's proclaim the substitutionary message of Christ and him crucified. We... If you know Christ this morning, we, you and I, we owe all to Christ. What is your life without the cross? What is your joy without the cross? What is your delight? What is your hope? What is your peace aside from the cross? What do you even have but for the one who hung upon the cross? who bore your shame and your sin and took it on himself. Sorry. Christ became a curse upon that tree. He bore our shame and was crucified on the cross. Cling to the cross. Throw your arms around it. Please. Hold on to the crucified Christ. Never let him go. Never. And don't just hold on to it. Preach the cross. Christ and him crucified. Stand on the rooftops and proclaim it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them the story of the Lamb. Then repeat the wondrous tale. Christ, the power and the wisdom of God.